Good evening. My name is Thomas Steininger. I welcome you to Radio Evolve, our global webcast for consciousness and culture. And I'm very happy to welcome in the broadcast uh, this week, Eugene Pustoshkin. Eugene, you are here uh, at your computer. Yes. Hey, Thomas. Eugene, welcome. I'm really happy uh, to have you in our webcast series. Uh, you are originally from St. Petersburg. Right now you are in Budapest in uh, Hungary. And if I may introduce you to our audience, Eugene Bustoshkin is a clinical psychologist from St. Petersburg in Russia. He is also one of the main translators and interpreters of Ken Wilber's integral thinking in Russia. And you're also the editor of an online integral journal. It's called Errors in Cosmos. And um, you have your own contribution to integral thinking, and we will talk about what we mean with integral thinking. And we thought to use this time to talk about uh, what I called in the invitation for this broadcast, the Russian contribution to integral thinking. So I would like to ask you first, um, Do you think, um, is there some specific Russian contribution to integral thinking? Is this even something fair to say? And uh, if yes, uh, who are the main persons that you would think are, are contributors to this field of thinking that are really important also on a global scale? Yes, of course. Mm. Russia has a long history of integral thinking, and integral thinking is a thinking which is com comprehensive, holistic, uh, goes beyond disciplinary boundaries, integrates uh, body, mind, soul, spirit, uh, integrates different perspectives and disciplines, and generally aims at, a, at an integral life or holistic life life of wholeness. Mm -hmm. So the history of Russian integral thinking uh, began in 19th century. Uh, I can mention uh, the names of, for instance, uh, Grigory Skavarada. He was a Ukrainian and Russian um, thinker and a mystic. And one of his relatives, um, I don't remember, like a uh, nephew or maybe later on one of uh, his blood relatives was Vladimir Solovyov. Mm -hmm. And Vladimir Solovyov, uh, he has uh, founded a paradigm which is translated to English as uh, integral knowledge. Mm -hmm. And in Russian it's цельное uh, знание, means mm -hmm. holistic knowledge. And this was the towering figure of integral thinking being uh, in Russia in the 19th century. And for instance, both Tolstoy and Dostoevsky went to his um, lectures, which were quite famous. Mm -hmm. And after him, um, after Solovyov, uh, there was a succession of uh, various thinkers, uh, very important ones who developed, continued to develop this integral synthesis. Mm -hmm. uh, which basically united uh, philosophy, uh, language, 
poetry, um, psychology, uh, mysticism, spirituality in general. Mm-hmm. So it is a long strand. And also there is a second strand which happened in uh, Soviet times. Uh, there were several um, Marxist-related uh, uh, thinkers which um, can be said as pretty holistic. And also there were some thinkers outside the mainstream who were also uh, pro- proposing a very comprehensive and even transpersonal spiritual vision. And one of them is my you know, most favorite Russian thinker of contemporary times, mm-hmm. uh, Vasily Nalimov. One of his books was even translated to uh, German. Uh, in, in English, it's called Spontaneity of Consciousness. I think it's mm-hmm. a rare book to find, but he was one of the brilliant thinkers. Let's uh, ask two questions here. Uh, first, um, we just started about integral thinking. And of course, I know you're very uh, uh, knowledgeable also about the integral thinking of Ken Wilber and how the integral thinking of Ken Wilber developed in the last decades. But just as a general question, what are we talking about when you say integral thinking in the 19th century? Uh, that's uh, when we talk about Russian integral thinking. Uh, what do we mean? You also kind of uh, we are going back and forth between the term integral and holistic. If you explain a little more, uh, what is this, this integral holistic thinking uh, that uh, you highlight here? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. One of the ways to approach integral thinking is a conceptual way. Mm-hmm. This is what you, a normal way, you rationally think through different disciplines, perspectives, maybe feel into them, maybe you embody them, but still you do it through your mind and mental capacities. And you try to write down and uh, transmit to others a conceptual framework how you kind of uh, synthesize various disciplines. Mm -hmm. For instance, transdisciplinary approaches do that. Mm -hmm. But uh, Russian thinking was very unique in one way. Well, unique um, in terms of European schools of thinking, uh, though there are some other examples as well. Uh, It has evolved since 19th century to the early 20th century in an attempt to transcend uh, dualistic notions dualistic uh, logical terms, for instance, and mm-hmm. mental, rational uh, thinking, and to know the object, the world, not through thinking, but through uh, being identical with it, through being one with it. It's, it's, uh, they, like Solovyov and especially later uh, thinkers such as uh, uh, Frank, for instance, he lived in Germany for mm-hmm. some time, as far as I remember, if I'm mistaken, please uh, excuse me. And uh, he spoke directly about the elimination of subject-object dualism and just knowing uh, things directly through your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Why is this important? Why is this something that uh, is a contribution that goes beyond usual scientific or Western Enlightened thinking as we know it from European Enlightenment and uh, modern uh, science. What, what's 
the contribution of this kind of thinking that is important for our times? Well, you know, many uh, spiritual thinkers, uh, and for instance, Buddhist thinkers, and also in other traditions, and also psychologists uh, recognize and have been recognizing for many years, sometimes centuries and millennia, that our thinking mind is not also um, a generator of great goodness, but it also can be a generator of suffering. Mm -hmm. We think ourselves into suffering, but we still have to operate in the world and cognize it, know it, uh, grasp it. Mm -hmm. So what those Russian thinkers try to convey is a different way of relating to reality. You're not creating a mental picture of reality and then you relate to mental picture or, for instance, of another person. You directly attempt by uh, stealing your mind, attaining stillness, um, let things arise within and as, and you, your consciousness becomes identical to the thing you're studying and you know the subject and object. Well, it's, it's, these terms don't work anymore intimately from within that's what was the one of the strongest uh, existential and uh, spiritual contributions of those uh, thinkers mm -hmm. and um i wonder if you agree i mean you you are kind of uh, as a matter of fact mentioning spiritual thinkers and spiritual traditions like, like buddhist buddhism and others just to bring modern scientific thinking together with an openness for this dimension of human existence, spirituality is something that is not a matter of fact. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily something that uh, modern science thinks that uh, um, you, you can have a rational discourse about it. So what I find interesting in integral thinking is that there seems to be a synthesis or an integration between spiritual approaches and our modern way of understanding reality in a rational, analytical way. And to be able to do this together is something that uh, many forms of integral thinking attempt to do uh, and uh, quite often also achieve to do, uh, which is definitely a big part of the contribution of Ken Wilbersburg, that he ha is very based on... Um, many disciplines of modern scientific thinking and on also not only in spiritual practice, but understanding of spiritual practice and to be able to see this together, not as, as uh, some territories that have no connection, but being able, and maybe that's the holistic approach that you're also talking about, where our spiritual depth is not outside our modern enlightened scientific understanding of reality. Yeah, I totally agree with you. In terms of integral theory by Ken, developed by Ken Wilber and also uh, vertical developmental psychology, it's a kind of psychology which studies how human beings mature and grow in consciousness. Uh, there are many stages and levels of rational thinking. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, types or levels of thinking that Ken Wilber describes, as well as others, is the kind of dialectical or vision logic, visionary thinking, which mm -hmm. uses networks of ideas combined. But what you see is the true integral thinking, the true comprehensive holistic thinking, which uh, both Wilbur and 
people like uh, Frank uh, tried to show and uh, Salavio is the thinking which has an erotic component to it. They spoke, they speak directly of errors, of this sexuality of uh, how you um, feel into your own thinking. Thinking is not an enemy here, even uh, so-called dualistic thinking and this rational thinking. No, it's an ally and you can approach it um, with passion and it becomes even as uh, it's like a sex experience. It's an experience of um, being one with uh, this energy of life, which can manifest through thinking as well. So mm. um, in my opinion, thinking can be uh, liberating and it also can be confining. And so we can use the same rational thinking in a liberating way to play with uh, reality and cognize it in accurate ways or we can just, you know, use it as a defense mechanism. It's, mm. it's known in psychology as mentalization or rationalization. Mm. You just said something that I really want to pick up. Uh, and I think it's um, at the core of what you call also this erotic um, direction. Because he used an expression that I would say from a modern rational point of view uh, doesn't make any sense. You said, feel into your own thinking. And that if, if, if we just go slow and tries to kind of follow what you're saying here, to feel into my own thinking, that seems to be a very peculiar thing. Because usually I think about this, and this has a logic, this has a rational or not, and they're all my, my feelings dimension. I'm whatever, in love, angry desperate, uh, in peace. But you are saying, and that's, I find very interesting, there is a possibility to, just to repeat it again, to feel into your own thinking. Two questions. Um, what do you mean by that? And why do you think this is important? Oh, yeah. Our culture... Uh, there are two trends. One trend is very disembodied, like even dissociated from the body. And yeah. when you start to do contemporary psychological work, uh, therapeutic work, what you do is reconnect with your body. And then you can discover the dimension of embodied cognition. This is the term that Francisco Varela coined, I think, mm -hmm. with Umberto Maturana. It means that all thinking is not disembodied as we used to think like before, especially in the Western tradition, that this some kind of supreme thought that reigns uh, beyond any material world, like kind of metaphysical power. And we still are bound to this metaphysical view, thinking that our thinking is somehow uh, a subject sitting, a ghost in the machine of the yeah. body. Yeah. But, but actually it's fully embodied. Uh, every thought that we think is... Uh, uh, simultaneously appearing as a body activity, mm -hmm. as a brain activity, some kind of brain waves and mm -hmm. some movements in the body. So when you steal your mind and use, for instance, various uh, methods of contemplation and meditation, which are developed uh, today and have been developed for centuries in various uh, disciplines, they are called sometimes spiritual disciplines, Sometimes they're called uh, psychotechnological disciplines. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, when you get this stillness and silence of mind, and then thinking becomes 
an object that you are aware of. Mm-hmm. You, in, in this midst of this stillness, a thought arises and you witness and you observe how it arises in the body, in the so-called mental stream, in the ideas, in the imagery, and you can actually be very intimate with those thoughts. So this is how you, how I would approach uh, this question. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, there are several threads that I really want to follow up. Uh, just what you were saying, ideas that arise in the body. That's a very interesting thought that you're uh, going. And but I wanna, uh, I wanna pause <laughs> this for the moment and want to make a step back. And uh, I think we, we pinpointed at least a little bit what this integral thinking is about. Uh, you, you really gave some, I found, very intriguing examples that this is different than usual thinking. I guess that many of our listeners here have heard about integral thinking, and I guess also many have heard about Ken Wilber. I would like to ask you, being someone who is very intimately uh, who, who very intimately knows Ken Wilber's work and thinking and uh, this kind of aqual integral thinking that is uh, very popular right now, and coming from St. Petersburg, coming from Russia, is there something specific that you would say is a specific contribution that comes from this unique Russian perspective that is interest that is interesting in a global conversation. Is there something basically this is comes from this particular life experience of the Russian culture, uh, of the experience of the development of how uh, Russian science and uh, Russian culture developed that you find is unique and is a unique contribution that's maybe worth uh, bringing to the conversation here. Yeah, we have to be careful about unique, uh, but uh, we'll use it in a, as, in a loose way. Yeah. And like if some other nations might have this quality yeah. or not, but yeah, it's unique, the way. Yeah. I mean, unique, I, I don't mean in an absolute way, just that there's something specific that comes, uh, 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 has as a specific connotation that comes from this Russian life experience, if I may say so. Yeah, you see, it is very interesting that I think there is still remnants of the Russian integral culture of the beginning of 20th century, the so-called Silver Age of mm-hmm. Russian culture, with many poets and uh, thinkers, right before the uh, revolution, the Bolshevik revolution, and some mm-hmm. years after that, and then it was an immigration uh, mm-hmm. which Russian thinkers and visionaries had to flee the country, or they were actually uh, sent away to countries like France, Germany, uh, England, uh, America. So they uh, they spread around the world. Mm-hmm. In some sometimes in Asia there was a lot of Russians, but they were working at the very top level of uh, thinking about language, about what thinking itself means. I, I mentioned in the beginning this subject-object dualism elimination. This is mm-hmm. one of the peculiar qualities. And they were always trying to not to comp- compar- compar- like di- divide everything into compartments, but to bring everything together with the heart, with the energy of being soulfully 
in the process and being passionately not a um, so-called cabinet philosopher, the mm -hmm. one who thinks academically, but thinking meant to be in the world and act, be active in the world as a thinker who uh, tries to answer the most existential questions. Mm -hmm. And th this is still, I think, a part of the culture, although it is kind of a hidden element because there were so many uh, socio-cultural socio turmoils. So one of the specific things that I think that Russia, Russian people, uh, intellig intelligent Russian people could bring when they reconnect with their roots is a soul-to-soul -soul direct connectivity with what matters the most beyond um, some kind of vain things. Like Russians are notoriously asking big questions of life right here, right now, in this moment. I want, I want the answer to the meaning of life and I want it now and I will not uh, stop until I get it. Mm -hmm. I mean... There's, a, there's even a cliche about the Russian heart, as I'm sure you are completely aware of. But I guess as every cliche, there is also some truth to a cliche. And a stereotype like the Russian heart has also a truth that basically to be able to bring together heart quality and thinking quality is something that... Um, from a pure rational scientific point of view is, is, is some no go area because uh, thinking has to be analytical. Mm -hmm. But what you are uh, describing before when you, when you were talking about to feel into one's own thinking or when you uh, were, were mentioning how thoughts also uh, show up in, in, in our embodiment. Uh, that, that there is some kind of bringing together of different uh, layers of human experience, the mental experience, the embodied experience, in particular the hard experience, that uh, to be able to think this together uh, seems to be relevant also because it's in the end, if I may say so, and it's more a metaphorical uh, uh, way of talking, but it, I guess it's still true, that only... Uh, with our heart, uh, we are really aware if something is relevant. It's basically our our heart relationship to something that says this is relevant for my life and not just something that makes logical sense. To be able to think this together is, uh, if, if, if you just let that in, uh, in itself uh, a necessary uh, form uh, of being, uh, have a, a, a wholehearted relationship to life that is capable of thinking, but is only not reduced to our kind of cognitive way of doing this. Yeah, it is like not, you know, discovering truth or thinking and trying to find out logically truth. It's uh, being co-present with truth. Mm-hmm. Say more. What do you what, what do you mean with being co-presence? Well, it is um, you see these are very lofty um, uh, stages of cognition and of integration of uh, mental capacities. It's kind of uh, very late uh, stages of human maturity. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, but they discovered, they were discovered by those thinkers and by developmental psychologists, uh, not all of them, but uh, some of the most advanced ones. And um, it is basically um, the recognition that there are some ways to know uh, truth um, directly without mediation. If you have a disciplined mind, and disciplined consciousness, you actually gain access to uh, some um, states of cognition which allow you to perceive things uh, in a less mediated way. Maybe not fully. It is always there is always a mediation of some kind of uh, mentality, cultural mindset, on, mm-hmm. um, or even uh, thinking predispositions. It's not like you eliminate thinking uh, uh, altogether. You you add something, you build upon your thinking, but there is some kind of sense of a whole body experience of being co-present with truth as it is, uh, I mean, appearing, emerges. And there's no other way to describe it. It's really difficult to describe. It's about resonance. It's not about uh, matching, you know, like this, a representational theory of truth that you have a representation of some object and if it's um, it matches then you have truth no it's mm-hmm. more about uh, what whitehead called prehension and ken wilber also uh, follows him like mutual prehension prehension meaning like resonating your your awareness resonates with whatever is happening with other people with their truth with phenomena in the world and you know that this is true and this is not true by looking into all the dimensions of your being, not just thinking conclusions, although they play a great role there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really like the word resonance that you're bringing in here because I think it, it shows something direct in our experience because as you described it, if you say, for example, I'm resonating with something, or everyone can relate to this experience of resonating to something. And it's very obvious that this resonance experience is not just a mental, oh, I agree with this out of this or that reason. There's a different intelligence that um, describes this resonance that you are pointing to. Would you say, would you agree with that, that there is a different intelligence showing up in this resonance? And what is this intelligence about? Yeah, I would say uh, probably intelligence. You can use another uh, notion like or, like a stage of mind or level or structure of mind mm-hmm. or a different mind altogether, like a higher mind, a more spacious mind, mind that uh, uses not gross thinking like uh, like some kind of uh, simple notions or very profound, complicated ideas in the head, but which uh, thinks. I don't know how to describe describe it. It's like you are thinking with the objects that arise in the space of your consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's a different way of relating. You're not thinking about a specific phenomenon or a social event or a philosophical notion or like even relationship with people. You're opening yourself to whatever is arising, the way it's arising to you now, and just stay present and then some resonance emerges and your, your, your mind perspective shifting is shifting and mm-hmm. you get insights mm-hmm. which you would never get 
using old-fashioned mm-hmm. way, old modes of cognition. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, in our preparatory conversation uh, before uh, this webcast uh, that you also focus in your own work on kind of uh, forms of meditation and you also develop a work that you call Holosendence. Uh, Can you describe what your research work is about and how this relates to integral thinking and integral work? Right, yes. Holosendence is a meta-paradigm or meta-approach, like an integral approach that uh, integrates psychotherapy, meditation, and within psychotherapy, many approaches, like many different um, forms of psychotherapy, like gestalt therapy, object relations theory, um, process work and uh, transpersonal approaches like the one that's spiritually inclined contemplative approaches but mm-hmm. also it integrates uh, various methods of contemplation meditation this method was um, developed first by Dr. Sergei Kuprianov he is a uh, ther- uh, psychologist and therapist from uh, Helsinki he is originally from Russia and he was my he was my teacher in psychotherapy and meditation and now he's my friend and colleague so we are developing this holosendence approach and uh, it is basically about uh, living life as meditation without making any boundaries that you have this here you have a formal meditation with your eyes closed and there you go into life and try to uh, remember those states. No, you meditate with your eyes open while doing therapy or work, communicating, consulting, uh, I don't know, driving car. Many people drive cars and uh, using those t- techniques. So this is one of the streams that I'm doing. And another stream is related to that, the, what I call, uh, after Ken Wilber, an integral meditation. Mm-hmm. It is a specific application of these uh, profound methods of um, having your life as a contemplative experience uh, towards uh, recognizing hidden dimensions of your own uh, body and mind and the various stages and states of consciousness. You work with them fluidly in a very disciplined manner and you use it to enrich your life. When you say having your life as a, complete, uh, as a, a contemplative uh, experience. Um, can you say more what this is? Well, I speak about contemplative phenomenology. Phenomenology means a, a study of objects uh, arising in your awareness. Well, it's mm-hmm. my definition and some, some other people use it like that. It's like a simpler mm-hmm. version of uh, this term. So contemplative phenomenology means that we are not living in a pre-given world where our perception is, uh, you know, the way we used to think. When we go beyond using to think, <laughs> I don't know how to say mm-hmm. it uh, otherwise, we just recognize that my perception of the world and meaning in the world, it actually dip- is dependent upon my intention and my attention and my awareness and where I put it. And if I don't use my awareness at all, um, usually I get into some pre-given, prescribed states. But if I learn to exercise this muscle of attention and awareness and contemplation, I suddenly realize that uh, the the quality of my conscious life and the quality of my consciousness is dependent upon my 
uh, free will, spontaneous free will. Mm-hmm. I can redirect my attention and especially uh, awareness towards anything. And by exercising the very redirection of it and focusing or what, how we say uh, defocusing or deconcentrating it, it's a different, a little bit different than concentration. Mm-hmm. You can actually improve your inner and outer life. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I fully understand what you're saying here, because it seems to me that uh, what 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 you uh, what you're pointing here to is in in a strong contradiction to how we usually perceive life, because usually to be aware means uh, the what we understand of being aware of something means that there is a world out there or a world in there. And you're either aware of it or you're not aware of it, but the world is a given. The way I understand what you are saying is that this is not the case. The world is not a given. It's dependent also on my intention, on my free will. That means I have a co-creative role in what the world is about. That yes. changes dramatically our understanding of the world because our usual, and maybe that's also what you, you, you said in the beginning, uh, overcoming the object-subject uh, 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 split. Because usually there's an objective world and we as subject can have a relationship to it. And if I hear you right, you're saying this is not this is not completely true. There is not a given object world. The way how we relate to it, our intentional, uh, our, our will is co-creating something that is also foundational to the world as it is or as it emerges. True, right. And it's like a nested uh, hierarchy or hierarchy of uh, habits. Mm-hmm. Like we used to think what, what's a given world for us is actually a universal or cosmic or world habit. Uh, it's a constellation of numerous habits. Mm-hmm. But one of the important uh, habit generators is our mind. Of course, it's conditioned by, by culture and supported by culture as well. It's conditioned by material substrate, our brain, our, our body, our physical environment, but it's all also supported by it. So um, there is one thing that we all have and we don't usually exercise it is something that can be called spontaneous free will. And, mm-hmm. you know, many thinkers say there is no such thing as free will. And there they're free to say so <laughs> ironically mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, what does it mean to use this spontaneous free will uh, well you see uh, as, uh, the Schopenhauer you know he's the title of his philosophy book the main book is mm-hmm. uh, the world as will and representation mm-hmm. uh, so we have this pure presence component, which uh, just reflects, maybe acts as a mirror in a sense. Although it's a, it's more tricky than that, but let's say like that. And then if we refine our presence, uh, we can actually notice that we can choose in the moment mm-hmm. spontaneously. Of course, this choosing activity, this creativity, this creative act, it is uh, supported by the habits that already emerged, like we are we are using our brain to make this choice, not uh, some kind of other system. Uh, but still, 
there is a significant degree of freedom. It's much vaster and much uh, more abundant than we are conditioned to think. We just need to uh, study our experience and study what other uh, investigators of experience uh, wrote down and showed. It's a notion of possibilities. But this notion of possibilities uh, really uh, undermines our usual relationship uh, to reality because it says that consciousness is much more fundamental and we have the, the free possibility uh, to, uh, yeah, I would like to say to be co-creator of what the universe is about and that the universe is also kind of just cosmic habits that, it, that are developed by, by consciousness and also by, by our consciousness that really is a worldview that uh, doesn't go well with our usual scientific understanding of reality. First, do you understand you right? And second, uh, if this is the case, why is this important? I, I, I think you understand this idea um, in a correct way, at least from my knowledge. And, you know, I can say it is like the scientific rational, so-called scientific rational view, even though I need to remark here that uh, science is not limited to uh, a specific stage of uh, thinking. There are ways of advanced thinking, mm -hmm. which are dialectical thinking, for instance. It's, it is very scientific, so it's not mm -hmm. just uh, formal operations. Mm -hmm. But this uh, formal operational view, way of thinking uh, would be misunderstood by a five-year-old child because he or she doesn't have this cognitive capacity to grasp and developmental capacity. So uh, does a scientific uh, worldview uh, lose its importance if a child doesn't and is not capable, according to developmental psychology, to understand it? Of course not. And the same is here. You just have to uh, do some kind of um, continuous work on refining your mental faculties or your cognitive faculties. And at some point uh, you get into the stage of maturity or at least this uh, peak experiences sometime of this uh, different way of relating to reality. And you understand its significance, the meaning of the, the value of it. It's uh, self-evident, but it's not also self-evident to you. It is also a way to create good things in the world. You, you, you are capable of doing very complex uh, projects, for instance, which require a lot of uh, perspective taking, taking many different perspectives. And if you have this lofty, lofty mind, lofty space of consciousness in which you operate with different systems of systems of systems of systems within these systems, dynamically, take into consideration the arrow time, the historical processes, cultural differences, all of this happening at, at once in one moment. And you don't spend years on doing that. You see it immediately. You can do many wonderful things with it. Mm -hmm. When I'm listening to you, uh, I have some, something that I would call a holographic experience. Yeah. 
because these systems of systems of systems that you're talking and you bring different dimensions, historic dimensions, uh, dialectical dimensions, uh, and you're saying to integrate those not kind of slowly over time, but I would add uh, something in an intuitive way, in an intuitive integration. Something shows up uh, that holds all this very also rational uh, systems relationship that we are talking about, but it's not accessible to my usually cognitive understanding. There's some something opening up that is much more accessible to to my intuition than to my cognitive understanding of it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and translating the knowledge that you get into in intuition, in profound intuition, which you have like as a capacity, it's a, into rational ideas. It's a tricky question how to do it, but it's possible to do this downward translation of uh, intuitive ideas into uh, some kind of formula, science and language. And this is what basically all uh, great mathematicians, for instance, do, or some uh, like Albert Einstein or uh, some other scientists who actually have intuitive insights and then they put those intuitive insights into specific systems of uh, argumentation. Mm-hmm. But what does this mean for the rest of us who, who are not Einsteins? What does this, what you're describing, what's the relevance for the, the life that we are living? Uh, yes, uh, it's extreme rare, and but it is a human potential that belongs to every one of us. I think, you know, if you can live a, a very high quality life, realizing your full potential, I mean, there is no way to, um, to substantiate it other than um, uh, following your dream of actualizing your full creative potential. And I don't know, I, for instance, me personally, I have this dream. I, I enjoy living an interesting life. And mm-hmm. I, in the course of my development, I hope it continues. And I'm not like a, uh, at the top of it. I'm just like, like you, I'm investigating it. But it fascinates me. And I think the main reason to see the importance of it is not like kind of dry rational reason, although I, I already said some of it, but pure fascination that it belongs to everyone and myself including and you including and every one of the listeners to some extent or to a great extent they could develop their potential. Although, of course, there are some limitations in here and to me, to you, to everyone. We have our own gifts and our own limitations. It's not like we are Superman on steroids. It doesn't happen like that. Mm-hmm. Listening to you, there's also one other image that comes up because I'm still with the systems of systems of systems of systems as, as you described it. And it sounds, uh, to be honest, very dry. It sounds hyper-rationalistic and, oh, God, oh, God, all the cognitive uh, effort that it takes to understand systems. And at the same time, there's this image arising that it holds worlds uh, that are capable, uh, that, that are accessible uh, through our capacity of cognition. So there is a developed mind that holds, for example, that we are living uh, on, on a global scale right now, 
just to be able to, to see us as, as a global society is accepting a, a system reality that it's not just you and me who are existing in this world. We are living in, in, in a place that's called this, this globe. And it ha uh, just to appreciate that needs to, to let the system, uh, uh, some fundamental understanding of what this globe is about as a system reality. And there's, uh, the fact that, uh, we have a history, uh, that, uh, Everything we're doing is interrelated in complex history. Uh, the fact that, that I'm German Austrian, you're Russian, uh, uh, is, is part of, uh, of our conversation. It's part, it's, it's part of what it is. There is also a relationship uh, that, um, of, uh, the depth of our humanness, which we may call the, the, the spiritual dimension of the sacred is part of this. There's our, our, being part of nature, all this held together uh, is is something that uh, needs a lot of openness and awareness. And then, and that's what I hear you, that's also where I feel, um, and maybe this is stereotype again, but I, I really feel it. So there's something to connect all of this, uh, if I may use the stereotype, with our heart. Yes, yes. You know, both Russian integral thinkers and, for instance, Ken Wilber being an American, uh, mm -hmm. our today's uh, leading integral thinker uh, in the world, uh, they speak about this integral awareness or integral uh, knowledge as an integration, not just of thinking, it's an integration, it's holistic integration of thinking, feeling, and being as one occasion. So mm -hmm. it is not dry. It, it becomes dry when you're limited only to um, kind of one side of the equation, just thinking, for instance, or uh, just going into activity too much or just feeling too much. But when you balance all of it, and it takes some kind of work to negotiate all those different challenges to balance this comprehensive uh, way of, I don't know, it's, it's, I said that it's a complex thing, but also it's very simple. It's, it arises naturally upon, uh, at some point when you, your just consciousness starts to unfold in a free, spontaneous way. So they, it's both. It could be a very complicated task to do and we need to work on ourselves. I think we, well, need because we are passionate about, I'm passionate about, I'm fascinated by it. Mm -hmm. But also at some point it becomes the easiest thing to do. And you're very right. It is both, you know, even in, in terms of embodiment, it is an integration of your uh, head with your heart area, literally with your legs and with the surrounding in your awareness when you're simultaneously and all at once are aware of everything everywhere in all dimensions. And suddenly those dimensions start to unfold in many ways and new uh, qualities of awareness start to arise of being mm. and of doing. Mm. I, I'm aware that we are also already a little bit over our time here and we definitely went also through some difficult territory, but I think our, something came out of this conversation that really holds these complexities that you're talking about if I may say so, in a place of passion. Yes. And this seems to be, for me, uh, the most important part of it because quite often when we think about all what you're mentioning right now, 
it, it's a stretch for the mind to do so. In particular, because it's a stretch for the mind to do so, it's very easy to, to basically reduce it to the mind and not see, not to see that this has a relevance for how we want to live, how we want to be there, what we are passionate for, what our heart is beating for in all of this. And that real integral thinking uh, is this connection in the end, all of this also with our heart connection without uh, reducing it to something that's just a reductionist heart, uh, naive heart, but it holds the complexity that you, that you were describing, but it touches us with our whole humanness. And I feel that the work that you are doing and also the work that I feel comes from this Russian lineage has an emphasis on this passion and heart. And um, I don't know if you agree with that, if you would say that this some of the strength of uh, the thinking that comes from this part of the world. Yeah, I agree. And I also like the final remark, like historical remark. Um, the Orthodox Christianity, for instance, mm -hmm. it has always emphasized uh, the mystical awareness which unites uh, the mind and the heart. Uh, unlike in some Western schools where there was mostly um, accent or emphasis on uh, kind of cognition without felt uh, heartfelt uh, experience. Okay. Oshin, thank you. Thank you very much for being on this webcast. Your uh, website is eroscosmos.org. Yes. Eroscosmos, cosmos with K uh, dot org. And also, and also integralmeditation.ru slash en. Maybe you want to say it once more? Integralmeditation.ru, like Russia, mm -hmm. slash en. It's an English version of it. You can find some basic oh, information. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I wish you a good night here from Frankfurt, Germany. Bye.